to the Readings Podcast. Uh, my name's Nina Kenwood and I'm the Marketing Manager here at Readings and today I'm talking to Emily Gale uh, about her new young adult book, I Am Out With Lanterns. Now, Emily, welcome Emily. Thank you, Nina. Uh, Emily is the author of two books for younger readers and four now YA novels. Um, the Other Side of Summer came out in 2016 and just out now is her new release, I Am Out With Lanterns. And so I want to talk to Emily today about um, both her new book and writing um, a young adult novel because the context for our relationship, I guess, is that Emily and I know each other and we're actually also in a writing group together. So uh, to prepare for this interview, I have gone back and read through about three years, roughly, <laughs> of our uh, writing group emails. And I, I want to dig a little bit into what it means to write a young adult novel. That concerns me so much <laughs> <laughs> that you've gone through all our emails. Who knows what I said? Now, Em, you have worked in the industry for 20 years. You've been an editor, you're a writer, you've been a freelance writer, you've been a, a bookseller, a children's book buyer, you've worked for literary agents, so you've got the sort of full scope of the industry. Jack of all trades. <laughs> um, and tell me, when it comes to writing... How do you begin? Do you begin with an idea? Is it something you've read? Is it a dream, a vision? Is it character? Where do you begin with your novels? I always begin with character. That's definitely the thing that comes easiest to me. Um, so with each of the YA novels, they've started out with a character and um, a relationship with a secondary character. Um, and then... And then a theme, um, which will be inspired by, well, in the case of my first novel, it was inspired by an X Factor audition, <laughs> um, which struck me because um, the the teenager who was at the audition seemed extremely reluctant to be there. Um, and her parents were just furious that she wasn't being put through. And that struck me as such an interesting dynamic. Uh, so that's where that kicked off from. Um, and, and that then, book was... That book was Girl Aloud, which was published in the UK. Um, and then Steal My Sunshine, that came from a piece of flash fiction that I wrote for this really crazy 24-hour charity writing thing that I did, marathon that I did. Uh, and the flash fiction was a teenage boy hearing a strange noise in the night, coming down and finding his mother sort of madly making pots on her pottery wheel. Uh, and... Uh, that scene is in the book, but it's quite a small part of the book, but it definitely came from there. And then The Other Side of Summer came from my own experience of um, leaving London um, nearly 10 years ago now and sitting in a room surrounded by 50-something boxes of my things. And again, that is just a couple of sentences in The Other Side of Summer, but that's where that came from. And... I'm Out With Lanterns is a companion novel to The Other Side of Summer. I should say I'm Out With Lanterns is, this is sort of my summary of it. It's a story of a group of Melbourne teenagers in Year 10 who um, their lives all intertwine as they deal with friendship issues, family issues, unrequited love, bullying, art, social media and more. It sounds a like a lot. lot in it. It is a lot. Um <laughs> And what does that mean for it to be a companion novel to your um, previous novel? 
Uh, well, since I've been living in Australia and reading mainly Australian YA fiction, I have completely fallen in love with this idea of writing books that are not exactly a series, but which do have a relationship to one another. And um, particularly the work of Jacqueline Moriarty and Fiona Wood. So um, Fiona's novels, Six Impossible Things, Wildlife and Cloudwish, which all have a relationship to one another, but which you can read in any order um, and uh, use secondary characters as main characters in, in the next novel. So I, I love that idea and I've always wanted to do that. But this is the first time that it's felt really authentic to do that. And so did you, when you sat down to write this novel, did you know... So were you going, I want, to find, I want to find a story for Ren and Milo from The Other Side of Summer? Or did you already have an idea and then they kind of wormed their way into that story? Well, when I first started writing The Other Side of Summer, it was a multiple perspective story of several siblings. And then I decided that it, actually it was just Summer's story. So I'd already started writing Ren's voice years ago. So it felt very natural to write a whole book, certainly from her perspective. And I really felt that once I'd finished The Other Side of Summer, there was so much more that I wanted to say about Wren. And I had some great feedback from people who really, really liked her character and really liked her friendship with Milo. So that seemed like a natural thing to do. I'd also been thinking a lot about art because um, of my family's history with art. Um, my family used to run art galleries many, many years ago, and I had been digging into um, uh, my great-grandfather's memoir and just thinking about that theme, and I thought, well, that's perfect for Ren and Milo because they already are artists in The Other Side of Summer, so I can continue that theme. And when I was reading back through some of our writing group emails, so to give some context, um, Em and I and a third person, Bronte, are all in a writing group together, which is sort of more of a cheerleading group, I would say, in some ways, where we each week email each other and say, how did you go with writing this week? And we say word counts and have a bit of a vent or we talk about what we've sort of been working on. Um, and in the early stages of writing this book, you wrote and said, I'm not sure if I'm able to pull off the three narrator thing. <laughs> now, in the finished book here, uh, you've got seven <laughs> Different narrators by my count. Um, how how did you do that and what? how did you manage to get a voice for all those different, all first person? I'm amazed. <laughs> I'm amazed. How did you do it? Um, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, it was really hard. This is definitely the most ambitious book I've ever written and it really showed in the amount of stress that I felt over the last two years. I think the fact that I didn't have another job during that time was a really crucial element of why I was able to do this in, in this amount of time because I worked on it intensely, just every single day, bashing my head against the keyboard. Um, so I didn't intend it to be that many narrators, but they just kept coming. Um, <laughs> and actually, it was so refreshing to switch between characters while I was writing the novel I ended up writing so many words, an unbelievable number of almost first drafts to get to that actual first draft. Um, but in a way, what kept me going was the ability to switch between voices. Anytime I felt like something was getting stale or it wasn't working, 
I would just switch into another voice and, and start going that way. It did mean that in the end, there was an awful lot of juggling to do to remove things that just weren't working in the overall story arc and really bring out the things that were. So it was a mess. But um, it, it's not split evenly between those characters by any means. So I think Ren and Milo certainly still carry most of the narrative. But for me, I just I love novels that have multiple narrators mm -hmm. and I have no objection to um, a character popping up for one or two chapters. In fact, I, I love that so much. And while I was writing this, I read a novel by Maggie O'Farrell, who's one of my favourite novelists, um, called This Must Be The Place. And she does a, a fairly similar thing, although more complex in that she goes back and forward in time as well. And as soon as I read that, I thought, no, I've got to have the guts to do this myself because this is, this is what I want to do as a writer. And did you have a favourite character to write or was there one that came easiest and then who was the hardest? I think Ren comes easiest Because you already knew her so well from the previous book? Already knew her and I think that she definitely expresses a part of myself that is um, not expressed very often, so <laughs> that's really fun. <laughs> She's very, very cynical Um and maybe I do express that a bit. I don't know if we're good friends, then you probably do know I'm quite cynical. Uh, I really enjoy writing her. I think the hardest one for me was Milo because he's autistic and I knew that that came with a huge responsibility. Mm. A huge amount of research had to be done and I questioned myself all the way through. Um, but I, I absolutely love him and I, and I hope that he comes across really well. Uh, I did for Milo have a sensitivity reader mm. called Jess Flint um, and she provided amazing notes for me to help to bring out all the things that I wasn't saying enough and to express things that I was saying in the wrong way. Um, so absolute thanks to her for helping me with that voice. You, the novel has some elements of um, magical realism to it so does or that's I'm not sure what term you would use that's I'm just sort of using that term so does the other side of summer can you talk yeah. a little bit about those elements I think it's much more overt in the other side of summer yes. which is for a slightly younger reader in that um, I've had lots of readers of 10 and 11 with the other side of summer up to sort of around 14 um, and so in that novel there's a character appears and it's obvious to the reader that that can't really be happening that's not really how the world mm. works but um, hopefully uh, you do believe it while you're inside the book um, whereas in I Am Out With Lanterns it's much more to do with suggestion and the sort of everyday magical things that do happen to us which can be explained they can but often they're not just like the thing of uh, you know seeing the same person in the street 15 times in a row and you don't you don't know them you don't can't figure out why you keep seeing them um it's that kind of everyday mm. life magic rather than um a real kind of fantasy novel it's definitely a contemporary novel and i think it's well grounded mm. but uh, as with anything with with art <clears throat> i mean art is kind of magical and it can do things to our brains and make th us think things that um aren't necessarily true 
Um, so I do play with that a bit. And did you know that you were going to have those elements in the book going in? Are you a planner or are you just fi- a person who figures it out, out as they go? Well, one of the first references I had when I was thinking about Wren and Milo and, and their love of art um, was uh, the picture of Dorian Gray, which I read mm. as a teenager from start to finish and then flipped right back to the first page and read it all over again. I just absolutely loved it. Um, so so that's certainly an influence, that sort of gothic, um, how how art can you know, sort of change your soul. Um, yeah, that was that was an influence. So I always knew there was going to be something about the way we look at images and how we interpret them. And looking back at our 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 writing group emails, it's yeah. very clear that so much of writing is just getting words down on the page, and we're always sort of reaching for that word goal or trying to get words down or disappointed that we haven't written enough and, you know, encouraging ourselves on and saying, you know, you can giving ourselves little rewards when we reach certain word goals. Yeah. Um, what is your secret to being produ- so productive and being able to get the words down or do you have advice about it? what you do, tips, tricks? Um, I definitely use the old carrot dangling in front mm-hmm. of me um so I think at this during this novel I think I said oh if I get a thousand words done today I can watch an episode of Outlander I mean I'm very <laughs> basic <laughs> very very basic um I also I, I went to a talk that Leanne Moriarty did at um Readings Hawthorne mm. and she said that she uses the app Freedom to shut herself off from all sort of you know, messing about on uh, the internet. Uh, so that was such a huge part of being able to write this book. But you locked yourself out for 24 hours at a time <laughs> off the internet. I needed I needed that hardcore sort of thing because when I was writing the book, I just felt like ideas were just flying into my face like bats and I was sort of half of the um, trick with writing a novel with so many characters is just to... Is to shut everything up for, yeah. for a bit so you can actually concentrate on what the story is um so so I don't use freedom I do use this other app called self-control and you can yeah as you say you can set it for 24 hours and then you can add any website that you like to that app so I mean I have a very very long list of websites that I'm locked out of when I'm having a writing session um and and that worked but you know again this novel is is partly it came out partly because i worked on it solidly for nearly 2 years without having other distractions i definitely wouldn't have been able to do it in that amount of time and i already missed my deadline i mean <laughs> it was it was supposed to be written sooner uh, but that's the best i could do was what was the process like compared to your other ya novels like was it would you which one do you think back most fondly on as the right or was this one of the hardest um I don't I I feel the most proud of this because I Mm -hmm. think I've challenged myself in ways that I've always wanted to and have never really had the guts to um I definitely felt more anxious writing this book because perhaps because it was so intense and there was so much pressure on it because I'd signed the contract with Penguin Random House Mm. before you know most of the book was written and I ended up writing quite a different book to the one that I promised them so there was always that stress of will they actually like this in the end 
And how many drafts did it take you? Uh, I think it took at least four nearly first drafts. So I would get to around 90,000 words and just I, I just knew it wasn't right and I would go back to the beginning. Um, so that's strange. I did actually open up some of those old drafts to see where I was going and it's it's so different. It's really amusing. Um, and then probably four more drafts after that. And I think this is very typical of me. It's not until draft three mm. that I really get to a place of comfort. Like I have... I have nailed this plot and now it's about refining it. That's definitely not till draft three for me. You, at one point you wrote an email where you said, I've I've just written a ridiculous scene involving a snake. <laughs> now that made it into the book. I love that chapter. It's one of my favourite scenes and it's a really, I think it's a crucial moment for one of the characters. Um, do you, are there scenes that you feel like uh, that you wanted to cut and that stayed in and then you so glad that happened or vice versa that you cut out that you still feel like oh, I wish that had been in there um I there's nothing that I think should have made it to the final draft there are scenes and bits of dialogue that I really enjoyed writing but they just didn't deserve their place um there may even be scenes that are in the this, you know, printed final draft that don't sort of make sense to every reader, but they they do make sense to me. And I really feel happy with um, how it all came together in the end. So, no, it was all part of the process losing all those words. I mean, tens and tens of thousands of mm. words hit the, the cutting room floor. And I think that was right. It, and it I didn't really breathe easily until they had all gone and I was left with this shape. And can you talk a little bit about the title and the process of finding a title for your book? Uh, yeah, it was called something completely different for most of the time that I was writing it. Um, so, and it was in draft three um, that this title came up. It's from an Emily Dickinson letter, not from one of her poems, but from, from a letter um, of course, as, as people know, she was quite a reclusive person and she um, home was particularly important to her. And she wrote this letter to a friend um, when they had just moved mm. and she was really feeling out of sorts. And the line is, I am out with lanterns looking for myself. And I thought that was just in itself such a great sort of summing up of what a lot of YA novels are about. Mm. You know, I'm out here. I'm, you know, I'm just looking for the person I am. I'm, I'm taking this sort of agency in my life that I've never had before. Um, I control my narrative now, where you know before my parents may have controlled my narrative. Um, so, I know it's a bit of a quirky title, but I am quite a fan of quirky titles. And what about? Oh, I love the title and I love the quote that it's from. I think it's perfect for the book. What about? There's also you've got. Um, chapter titles in there and you've got section titles mm. do they come at the end for you or are they in there throughout they were definitely the way that I wrote this book because it does have so many characters and and parts so I wrote the book in Scrivener which I'm mm -hmm. an absolute a huge fan of now and 
um, initially I just used one word titles really just so that when I was um, my eyes were glancing up at what I'd done so far I, I could think of the scene by just that one that one word title um, and then when I got to the end I just had grown so attached to them that I thought well I'm going to keep all of these mm. but and you know I, I worked on them to make sure that they were perfectly right for each chapter but yeah they were they were part of my process and another thing that comes out in our emails is there's a lot of self-doubt around <laughs> yeah. is this, this book is terrible, what am I doing? Do you think self-doubt is a necessary part of the writing process or do you think it pushes you to make it better or is it something that it's a hurdle that's in your way that you have to kind of get over? It's definitely both and I think that the the main function for me of having a writer's group is that somebody else has to help you out of that. It's very, very difficult to lift yourself out of that every day. Um, but people that you trust and people who like your work and like you are very, very good at, at um, helping you out of that and um, helping you to see, you know, that, that that's actually not helpful at all. Um, but it does push me and I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm scared not to have it. I'm sort of like a little bit in love mm. with that sick side <laughs> of of being a writer that I did keep going back to the drawing board and I did keep expecting more of myself and um, it, it's painful to be riddled with that sort of level of self-doubt but then anytime you get together with a group of writers you do realize that it is just everybody or certainly that everyone that I'm drawn to feels the same way. Right. And there was a moment where you got some great news about one of your books and that very day you went out and bought Kate Grenville's um, writing advice book <laughs> on how to write. And so do you feel like everyone's always still learning no matter uh, where I'm you are because you're six books in? Definitely still learning. Definitely. Um, yeah, my my long suffering partner, I think, you know, he feels baffled by the number of how to write books that I own. <laughs> it's an addiction. Um, I have a lot. <laughs> he always, I bring them home and he says, I, but I thought you knew how to write. And that's, <laughs> that's what we're doing here. Um, yeah, it always feels like I could do better. I could reach further. Um, there are so many people that I admire. Uh, I read constantly, so yeah. every time I pick up a book that just floors me. Um, partly your... I love that as a reader, but as a writer I think, oh, God, if only I could write like that. What's your go-to, I need some inspiration, I'll, is it, um, I think at one point you mentioned rereading Jacqueline Moriarty's um, Feeling Sorry for Celia, yeah. um, and I know that you, you introduced me to Leanne Moriarty. Oh. Um, so I know the Moriarty sisters are a big influence on you, but do you have a go-to author that you read for when you're just in a real funk and you need some inspiration? Uh, I definitely, uh, while I was writing this book anyway, looked at, again, at Jacqueline Moriarty because she does multiple perspective really mm. well um, and uh, Fiona Wood as well. Um does that and I like prose that occasionally really pulls me up and just makes me think god that is a good sentence mm. um and I know that there's a you know a school of thought where that says you know writing should be invisible um but for me I like it when I just have to stop 
and mm. just look at, at a sentence and think, wow, I, well, you know, I need to write that down. You yourself write beautiful sentences. You have a lot of sentences in this book that I just want to highlight or pull out. You have a really amazing way with language that I love that I don't have and could never have. Um, where mm. Do you spend a lot of time sort of constructing beautiful sentences or, or does that just come naturally to you? <laughs> well, it's interesting because... Um, I um I was in a conversation with the author Diane Wolfer recently and she had chosen some sentences from I Am Out With Lanterns that she really loved. And when I had a look at them, I realised that they were all sentences from my first draft that had mm. just come very spontaneously. And so that that struck me as strange because I do work really hard on my sentences <laughs> uh, and I work really hard editing as well. But it but maybe the things that are really good just come in come zone. out and you, yeah. and and the trick is leave them there yeah. you know that how many times yeah. do you go over and over and over your paragraphs and you just have to trust that that thing you wrote 2 years ago it was the right thing and so you are the mother to a teenager and you have uh, worked with teenagers in various capacities through workshops, you've been a children's bookseller. What have you learned about how teenagers read and what they're looking for in YA books? Um, I think um, the thing that I learned while working at Readings as, as a children's book buyer um, was the importance of that fiction that's kind of the in-between fiction, in-between children's and YA, so f- from roughly sort of 10 to 14. Mm. That is just such a golden age of mm. reading. And that's why I wanted to write The Other Side of Summer yes, in particular. Yes, that fits into that sort of difficult to categorise young YA or older yeah. middle uh, category. Yeah, which in within the industry can be quite difficult. Yeah. But... Um, but in, you know, grade five, six, seven, eight of school, not difficult at mm. all. I mean, those, I think those readers really did find that book, um, which is great. But having a teenager, I mean, so my daughter's 14 and she was an absolutely voracious reader as a child. I never thought I would see the day uh, when she didn't constantly have a book on the go. But high school... Wow, that um, that has really uh, reminded me of that. There's so much going on in high school, and mm. particularly if you're the kind of kid who you know wants to put her finger in all the pies, mm. um, which which she is. Um, she really doesn't read anymore. Um, so I, I I don't write for my daughter. I do ask my daughter a million questions while I'm um, while I'm drafting. Um, does she what feedback does she give you good feedback oh she's great I mean it just it depends what mood she's in obviously yeah. <laughs> she doesn't <laughs> necessarily want to ask answer every single question um, but she's great and my son was great too um, particularly with uh, questions that related to Milo mm. uh, because um, he my son's very into gaming and and Milo is too so I had a lot of Minecraft you have questions. Some great Minecraft stuff in there, <laughs> and that snake scene that that really came from my son as well. Uh, so they're very helpful. Um, but yeah, there is a challenge with um, encouraging teenagers to read. Um, I don't know the answer to it. All I know is that there are teenagers out there who who like reading beautiful, complicated books, and um, hopefully. 
they my will bit will find yours. them. <laughs> what about social media? So you use social media in your book. How do you feel when you're doing that or anything like Minecraft or anything that do you worry about it dating your book or do you just think I've got to write what's now and not worry about it? Yeah, um, I suppose, yeah, there are definitely aspects of my first novel that would seem dated now. That's okay with me. Um, Yeah, I'm not necessarily here to write a book that will be as relevant in 100 years. Mm. I'm I'm here now, this book is here now, and I care about the people who are reading it now. I don't think I can really think um, in a more expansive way than that. Um, Yeah, Milo needed um, a a really great hobby for himself. and Minecraft, you know, seemed like the obvious one to me because I had this, you know, great little patch of research in my house um, with my son. Mm. Um, yeah, so I hope that works. I hope it doesn't date. But if it does, that's okay. Mm. What about the editorial process? How do you do you enjoy that process? I mean, the, not you editing on your own, but the formal editorial process with your publisher. Is that uh, is that a enjoyable process for you or is that a difficult process um (laughs) at the time I definitely wouldn't call it enjoyable because um you know it it's it's very difficult to see the wood for the trees when you Mm. get feedback and figure out what you want to push back against and what is really really right um and I think you have to build a relationship with your editor and, and really be able to trust them I personally like a mixture of tough love and um, someone drawing little hearts on my manuscript. (laughs) I need both of those things. (laughs) But I really like to work with someone who will push back against Mm. me as well because I can be really stubborn. Mm. And um, I want somebody who has the absolute courage of their convictions. Um, And so I've worked with um, my publisher, Zoe Walton. Um, Now this is the third book that we've that we've worked on together. So uh, I feel like she gets me and I trust her. Um, so, but, you know, every everyone needs, a, you know, a different kind of relationship with their editor, but that's what I need, that mixture. Mm. And what about the cover design? Your book has a beautiful cover that is sort of matches a little bit with The Other Side of Summer. How much input did you have in that design? Um, well, I think I probably had more input on the cover for The Other Side of Summer, and that's what this has sort of um, sprung from, um, in that I wanted The Other Side of Summer to look um, sort of sophisticated enough that it looked a little bit like YA, but mm-hmm. also um, that it looked like, you know, a 10 or 11-year-old could pick it up as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this one is a little bit more sophisticated. It's got these the gorgeous characters all over the front. Mm-hmm. Uh, I suppose the only influence I did have was in saying, oh, this character could be sitting on this chair because that's, you know, actually part of the story. And this character should definitely be on his own uh, because, you know, he's the bad guy. Mm-hmm. Um, that sort of thing. I was a tiny bit worried about the the sort of dusky pink shade mm. only because um, my first novel was bright pink and um, I suppose I just have that worry that, um, you know, there are two male characters in, in this novel um, and I, I would like boys to read this boys book. I suppose I thought 
a boy's going to read a pink book. Mm. Um, but, you know, I can't worry about that. They, they should read a pink book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and going back to writing, what yeah. advice would you give, <clears throat> sorry, an inspiring young adult author? Like me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, I don't think you need any advice, Nina, because your book is coming out next year um, and it's, you know, selling like hotcakes around uh, the world already. Mm -hmm. So um, I don't know, maybe you should answer this question. What advice would I give? Um, Look, don't be in a hurry to spend money on, uh, you know you know workshops and and getting paying for feedback and things like that i i don't think that just buy a hundred writing advice books yeah (laughs) to be fair i do get my writing advice books mainly from op shops because (laughs) there's no way i could afford to buy all of them um but yeah uh, finding some kind of writing group whether that is a real life group that you know you meet in person or whether that's online Mm. Uh, that's definitely how I started out, um, going onto a writer's forum, um, submitting um, small pieces of work on a, on a locked forum that you you know you had mm. to you had to be a member to get onto, and then starting that process of what getting feedback is like, what it's like to then return to your work and figure out which bits of feedback you're gonna you're gonna try out. Um, starting those sorts of relationships. That's what I would say. And also, um, obviously, get self-control a, a app yeah, and lock get, yourself get, out of Twitter and Instagram. <laughs> and get words on the page. <laughs> Definitely, just get words out. If you've got words on the page, you can work with them. Yeah, And you're already ahead of most people. Oh, yeah. I mean, how many times do you meet someone who says, um, oh. I've always meant to write a book, but I just don't have time? Now... What would you say? There's a I, when I read your book, I thought, oh god, this would be a great Netflix series. It just <laughs> has that feel. Um, is there like a TV show or a movie or anything you feel like has a similar feel to your book or another book? Um, not necessarily in terms of content, but while I was writing it and while I was wrestling with should I have this many narrators, is this going to work? I rewatched um, an Australian drama called Tangle. Um, And I also looked again at um, shows like Offspring Mm -hmm. and I thought, well, this is sort of what my book is doing. It's a little bit like a TV series in that you get to go into everybody's house. You get to see everybody's family dynamics and friendship dynamics. But then there is also a central thread that connects all of them. So, um, yeah, I, I mean... That, that was something that gave me courage as well, even though it's in book form, that, well, this works on television. Can I make it work mm. on a page? And you did. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what are you reading right now? Well, I just took part in a YA trivia quiz as part of this amazing event. And I was appalling at this quiz. I was so embarrassed because the only answers I knew were about Australian YA fiction. And there were quite a few questions that were about US fantasy. So That's um, your big gap. I yeah. mean, <laughs> it's a better, pretty big it's, gap it's, in my it's, knowledge. It's better that you and like writing Australian YA... Yeah, uh, well, like, be it's that. very important if you uh, write Australian YA and live in Australia that you, you stand up for Australian yeah, YA. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but I did feel bad about this huge gap in mo- my knowledge. So I went to the bookshop and I bought Daughter of Smoke and Bone mm. by Lainey Taylor, mm. which one of the readings booksellers, Leanne, told me to read years ago. Mm-hmm. 
and I'd always meant to. Uh, so now I am. And it's absolutely brilliant, which I always find whenever I pick up fantasy, I, I love it so much. But my default is contemporary. Yeah. Mm. And what are you watching on TV? Um, Anything? <laughs> yes, I am on series three of The Tunnel, which, um, so I think you're su- probably supposed to watch The Bridge, uh, but I started watching it, The Bridge, with my partner and there were too many subtitles for him. <laughs> and he said no, <laughs> no to this. Uh, so then we started watching The Tunnel instead, which um, still has some subtitles, but fewer. Um, oh, I just love what, the I character in that. I don't know at that. all. I've- um, well, it's it's a cop series, okay, um, but um, one of the cops is British and mm-hmm. the other is French. She's a young French woman. She is the best character I've seen on television for so long. She is just 100% herself and not um, like a lot of series, um, not a woman who seeks to be desired by anybody, a beautiful woman who just doesn't seek to be desired by other people. I, I just love that about her. And what is next in your writing journey? What are you working on? Well, it is if you can say. all a bit up in the air at the moment because I have a lot of projects on the go and yes. it's a question of which ones sort of pull ahead um, into the lead. Uh, so I've got two middle grade novels on the go. One is um, co-written with somebody else who is one of, uh, one of my favourite writers mm-hmm. and, a, and a really great friend. Um, and that has a bit of a historical strand to it, mm-hmm. contemporary historical uh, time slip. And you love um, a time slip. I do love a time slip. You know it. Uh, yeah, that's the, that's the kind of book I loved reading when mm. I was eleven, twelve, thirteen. And, and yeah, I definitely want to write one of those. The other middle grade is a fantasy novel, mm. and that I'm definitely thinking of my son who loves dragon books. Um, and I thought, come on, you know. He's the only other person in my household who reads. I need to write a book for him. Uh, and then I'm also working on two adult books as well. So we shall see. So not much. No. Just <laughs> four or five projects. Well, it's so important to me, especially when a, a new book comes out, that I have something else, something to do when mm-hmm. I go back to my cave that is not thinking about what everyone's saying about my book um, because that way madness lies. Mm. Do you read reviews? Um, I do. I mean, I tell myself not to constantly um, and then I inevitably do. Um, And, you know, it's this weird combination of not quite believing it when someone is lovely about your book. Mm -hmm. But definitely believing it when they're negative. Absolutely believing it when they say you cannot write (laughs) for a moment. And then, you know, telling your writer's group, um, Mm. I'm sure I will be... (laughs) emailing you and Bronte uh, in the near future and saying, this has happened, please make me feel better. (laughs) And you will. We say terrible things about them and reassure you and then we all move on. Yeah, it's like, you know, coming home from school and saying, mum, someone's bullying me. (laughs) And then your mum makes you feel better. (laughs) Well, thank you very much for coming in and talking to me today. Uh, Emily's book is I Am Out With Lanterns and it's published by Penguin Random House and it's out now in all good bookshops. And you're listening to The Readings Podcast, which you can find uh, many other episodes of online. You can subscribe on iTunes or find it on The Readings website. (laughs) 